Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. I'm really, really delighted to have a guest on today. Uh, one of, only my second guest ever to appear a second time. And I can almost assure you that uh, he's such a great guest that he will be the first to go a third time, which probably be the first to go the fourth time and so on and so forth. I'd like to make him a routine guest. So of the six areas of financial planning, you got cash management, tax planning, insurance planning, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And we're gonna focus on the investment planning today, which is, um, again, my guest is Herb Morgan. Herb Morgan is the founder and chief investment officer of Efficient Market Advisors. Uh, welcome back again, Herb. Thank you very much for joining my show. Mike, it's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Well, good. So, you know, want to be able to tackle, um, you know, ongoing current events, if you will, its impacts on the economy, potential impacts on the market, et cetera, et cetera. Let me get a couple disclosures out. We're here not to make any specific investment recommendations, which we don't generally do anyway. And also in light of the changing day to day, I am going to disclose that today is Friday, April 1st, so that when the show airs at different times, you could put it into perspective as to when exactly this is. So again, thank you very much for joining me, Herb. The only thing about it is that there are no headlines. I mean, what the heck could possibly be going on in this world, right, Herb? Everything's just all quiet. Right, exactly. So I don't even know why I have you here. April Fools, right? Yes. <laughs> So uh, I think some of the things that I really, really want to touch on are those that are on the forefront of everybody's mind right now, certainly mine, but I have to imagine the forefront of everyone's minds are inflation and rising interest rates, which go hand in hand, and then geopolitical tensions, which right now we're in the midst of the war with Ukraine that we are currently not directly involved in. And then there's always the potential concern, does China invade Taiwan? And so it, it becomes a question of how does that involve us? And then also, which I'm sure you're gonna talk about, the difference between headline risk and true economic risk. I mean, if there's only something that we hear about and it's only fear, but does it really have an impact on the economy? So my goodness. Uh, let's start with interest rates. Um, I, interesting too, I'm gonna, I hate to jump ahead of you, but I'm doing it. I'm not jumping ahead of you, I'm not giving you a chance to start. People confuse, I just wrote an article, uh, or worked, co-authored co an article with one of the other CFPs in my office on the impact of interest rates on mortgages and home buying. And just to put it into perspective is the, you could get a mortgage in January for under 3%, and now the national average is 4.5%. That is a big difference, okay? But I also want to also point out is just because you hear on the news that the Fed is raising rates does not directly equate to mortgage rates are going up. Now, I got that out of the way because mortgage rates to a great extent fundamentally are based on the 10-year treasury. And the 10-year treasury not that long ago was 1.5%. And just like that, 
it has moved quickly up. And even just within the past week, it hit, I think it was last Monday, 2.5%, dipped all the way down to two and a quarter or 2.3, and is back up 11 cents today already. What is going on out there? Well, interest rates moved, right? We, we, we have a free market economy. They go up, they go down. Um, it's funny, when they were going down, 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 uh, if you were a pessimist, you said, wow, interest rates are going down, the economy must be horrible. And now interest rates are starting to tick up. We're saying, well, interest rates are going up. It's going to kill, kill the economy. <laughs> the reality is the market handles things really, really well. And the Fed intervenes in the marketplace from time to time, but they only generally are only allowed to control the Fed funds rate and the discount rate. The Fed funds rate and the discount rate have no impact on your mortgage. In addition, there's a second time where the Fed would intervene they can't directly set rates, but they can buy or sell U.S. Treasury and mortgage-backed securities. Right. They started buying in a big way when COVID hit to drive rates down. They did that. They finished buying last month, so they no longer are buying any. So that takes a big buyer out. And then that one little interest rate that they do control, the federal funds rate, they have, they have raised it from a a range of zero to 25 basis points to now 25 to 50 basis points. That level is the equivalent of you opened up a fire hose on the economy, right? It's going and now you're taking it back like an eighth of a turn, right? It's still going, it's still accommodative, it's still stimulative. I think that there's a lot of headlines around oh my gosh, the Fed's raising rates, is going to be a recession, and I wouldn't draw that conclusion. There's going to be a recession again, of course. Right, but it could be next year, it could be 10 years. Stretch, in my view. Well, so, you know, I, I, that's actually kind of interesting. You use the exact same analogy that I used with the fire hose. I used to always call the economy as a fire burning in the corner, and the Fed holds the hose. If the fire is burning out, you pull back the hose, and if the fire is burning too hard, you open it back up again. Um, so that's a very interesting. And one of the things that you hear, which spooks investors, is they say economies don't burn out on their own. The Fed always burns them out. So that's the fear that investors have. The Fed has referenced that they're going to raise interest rates seven or eight times this year. And that the investors' fears are that they're going to turn on the fire hose too much. Do you believe that that's the case? I don't think so. Um, we, you know... Monetary policy and the tools of the Federal Reserve have evolved over time, and we've gotten better, and we've gotten more information. If you go back to when the Fed was given the job of maintaining price stability, it was really, it's very recent in terms of economic history. It was less than 50 years ago. And they did it. They did a great job. But we had inflation that was so bad and so systemic, and our expectations of inflation were so high that they had to do it through a massive series of interest rate hikes. If you remember 10 and 12% mortgages and money market accounts and treasury oh. bills at double digits. We're nowhere near that today. What we did is we left interest rates ultra low, in my opinion, probably six months or a year longer than we needed to. That's not end of the world stuff. So if you get seven interest rate hikes this year, I don't think we will, but if we did, it just puts us at a 2% federal funds rate. That's not 
uh, restrictive on an economy. That's very accommodating. Right. That's how, right, we're coming from zero. And if we go to 2% on the Fed funds, I think that's a recognition that the economy is healthy and can stand on its own. In fact, I, you know, I think they should have done 50, and they would have done 50 at the meeting you know, in March, on March 16th, if it weren't for the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. They said, well, let's take it to 25. We'll, we'll meet again at the next meeting and make that call. Sure. You know, interesting is it's the recency bias that you're referencing. And, yes. you know, if you take a look at, which I would love to have been able to put up the chart, but if you look at that actual interest rate, if you were to look historically, 2% is really low, except for the last 10 years, which was really at some point in time after the global recession in 2008, it was a few years later that they brought it down low again. But 2% is nothing compared to the historical rates. It's just investors are spooked by it. Well, we're also, you know, remember, Fed funds rate, in, I think it was 80, 81, got to 20%. <laughs> and, and, and the graph from 1981 to today just goes like this. Straight down. And then there were times when inflation started to perk up and they raised it up. Uh, 1985, they got up over 10 again. Then we got a lower low and a, high, and a lower high and a lower low and a lower high. The last peak before, uh, you know, 2008, 2009 recession, we got to 5%. And then the most recent peak, we got to two and a half before COVID hit. Right. So, yeah, we're not, we're not, I, the, there's many reasons you can have a recession, right? You can have a recession because companies are overstretched and overlevered. Definitely not the case today. They're flush with cash. You can have a recession because uh, money gets just incredibly tight and the Fed just pulls back and tightens too much. Right. Uh, not the case. Money is prevalent and everywhere. Uh, and in fact, I, I believe that inflation has likely peaked. I don't know if it peaked today or last month or February, really? but the year-over-year -year inflation rates are have, have, in my view, peaked for a number of, of different reasons. Why? Elaborate, please. Well, yeah, so... First of all, if you have, you have the year-over-year -year comparisons, and and last year we were, you know, recently we were comparing to to low base years. Now we've had this inflation running for about a year, so the base year is is not quite as bad. Um, there, I had a bunch of graphs uh, I was bringing up. The money supply growth back in 2021, we were looking at 25% year-over-year money supply growth because they were trying to stimulate the economy. Right. We made these mistakes, right? We said we're going to shut down the world economy to fight a disease, so we're killing supply, and then we're going to give everybody lots of money, and they don't want to come back to work because we're giving them money, and the companies are giving them money, so we have massive increase in demand because of the money, but no supply because we shut everything down. It right, was really right, right. a bad policy decision, and it was bound to create this inflation. But Back to that year-over-year -year growth in the money supply. Back last year, we were looking at 20%. Now we're looking at less than 10, and it's on its way down. We were running a massive budget deficit back during early COVID uh, to try to stimulate the economy. Um, and that deficit is still too high, in my personal opinion, coming way down. That removes uh, inflationary uh, pressure. Fed was, was printing money by buying treasuries and securities, they're no longer buying, or treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, they're no longer doing that. So that is taking off of the inflation uh, problem. 
Wage growth was pushing inflation. That's that's still good, and we want real wage growth, right? We want the American worker to have a higher standard of living, but that has moderated uh, in the most recent reports. We got a jobs report um, this morning that started to moderate. Um, you know, we, 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 the commodity price inflation is different than a total deterioration in the value of your currency. There's they're, they're both happening, or we're happening. Um, the currency is going to start looking a little better. In fact, the dollar has been strengthening, which is the opposite of inflation. Um, so yeah, there's a myriad of, factor, of, of factors. I think the inflation rate has probably peaked, uh, but it's still going to remain well above the 2% target, at least for the remainder of, of this year. Well, I've heard, you know, you reference the inflation based upon baseline. And that's what's also really important when in 2021, corporate earnings were blockbuster earnings. Well, that's because they were comparing to the prior year, which were substantially lower. So it's kind of a fake calculation. So the question really comes down to, do we run into a point where the prices actually come down? Well, I got to imagine energy prices, I don't want to say have to come down. There are things that would need to come in play, increase in the supply or what have you. Um, but that can't, that's got to have an impact. And that isn't some of the things that were coming into the inflation that you referenced, you know, the wage growth, but these energy prices are relatively new. So tell you what, Herb, we're up against a break right now. I'd like to pick this back up again when we come back and stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a few moments. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary, no obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained with your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner. I'm still here with Herb Morgan, Chief Investment Officer. And what I'd like to pick up where we left off is energy prices have really taken off. They've been going up over the last six to nine months, but they've really rocketed in the last few months. How long do you foresee energy price increases being persistent, and do you see them coming back down again? Uh, well, I think we peaked about three weeks ago. We got to about $124 a barrel on oil. That was the height of pessimism around uh, the, the Russia invasion of Ukraine. We can talk geopolitical stuff at, at your leisure. Uh, we had been trending higher from $70 a barrel in December. We get up to about $90 by February. Then we get this big spike. We have now come down. We got all the way from 125 to 95, and then today we're back at around 100. I think the release uh, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, I, don't, I think it's going to be a challenge to do a million barrels a day initially. I think we can get there. I think that helps. 
Um, but I also think the market, you know, the market really takes care of problems, right? So if we have this inflationary pressure in the economy and that manifests itself in oil prices, and then that pairs back production or pairs back demand a little bit on some other things, that, that's the way of the market sort of self-correcting and doing what it's supposed to do. Where we usually get into trouble is when we get some kind of violent interference into a market, violent interference being um, obviously Russia invading Ukraine. We knew that was going to spike energy. We knew it wouldn't last forever. Now with uh, you know both the supply on our side and a little bit of an easing in, in Russia, Ukraine, we're seeing it come down. I, I think we'll be back at 70 uh, again sometime in the, in the second half of this year. Well, that would be um, pleasant to everyone because just that causes inflation in a lot of different ways. First of all, you know, going to the gas pump, you know, instead of costing 40 or 50 bucks to fill your tank, it's now 70 or $80 to fill your tank. And it trickles its way through the economy in that, you know, just to deliver the groceries to your store, the transportation costs are going up, which means the cost of groceries are going up. With a drop in energy prices, do you actually see the possibility that, you know, Forget inflation for a moment, because inflation is year over year or month over month increase or decrease in prices. Do you see prices coming down at some point? Like we take what the cost of living is today using whatever the inflationary numbers are. Do you see that coming down or leveling off? Yeah, more of a leveling off. I mean, remember, our Fed has a mandate from Congress. They were only given that, you know, as I said, about 50 years ago. And since then, we've never had runaway inflation. We haven't had runaway inflation because, A, they have the tools. The law tells them they have to take care of the problem. Uh, and they've always been willing to take care of the problem. Now, this time around, we did things differently. In the past, when, when inflation was starting to get close to the 2%, we started to raise rates. We wanted to nip it in the bud. This time, the Federal Reserve said, well, we, because we have all this unemployment related to COVID, we want to let the inflation run higher until we get everybody back to work. And so yeah, the volatile components of the CPI, food and energy, those are the two that are most right. damaging right now to our, our purchasing power. I see those can, those can and do go down. That's why when they report CPI or PCE or PPI, they report both a nominal and a real number, meaning real backing out core, sorry, core backing right. out food and energy. Right. So I think the core number, which is a little lower than the headline, that starts to actually moderate. It never goes to zero, but you can get headline numbers, particularly in things like food and energy. You know, you can get energy goes down 10%, right? We've had $5 gas where I live. We're at close to seven now because I'm in California. You're right. But, uh, yeah, you have to we, pay for that paradise weather, Herb. Quit rubbing yeah, it in. 15 years ago, we ran up from 250 to 5 and then back down to 3. Now we've run from 3 up to 7. Yeah. We'll probably run back down to 5 at, at, or 450 or something like that in the not-too-distant future. Right, and then you're happy with it. See, that, that's, what, that's what's good about pumping it really high because then you'll be smiling when you're paying $5 a gallon. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So when you reference the headline, let's talk about headlines. Yeah. Ukraine. Okay. You got the Russian conflict in Ukraine. I think it started February 24th, an impact to the markets. And so I'd really like to understand um, headline risk, 
versus actual economic risk and what could or would happen in your opinion if the U.S. got more directly involved. Let's start with the headline. My understanding is that Russia really represents a small percentage and Ukraine a small percentage of the world GDP. Elaborate, please. Well, th that's correct. They both do. And Russia is not, is not in any way systemically important to the U.S. Now, the first thing we did is we did the sanctions. It was bad behavior. And uh, then we said, well, what, why aren't we blocking financial trans transactions through SWIFT? Well, that was because Russia still had payments it owed to American banks through that has to get paid through the SWIFT system. It was in the single-digit billions of dollars, so not end-of-the-world stuff. But the amount owed to European banks, particularly French and Italian banks, for transactions was very significant. And because we're part of NATO, NATO's pretty clear, attack on one is an attack on all. If, if there's an attack on Poland, right, we are involved 100%. There's no doubt about it. Our troops are fighting. That is the contract. That is the treaty. That is the rule of NATO, and we're in it. So initial economic impact to the U.S., trying to be dispassionate about the human impact, obviously um, not significant, other than drove up the price of energy by taking that incremental part of Russian supply off the market. The impact is far greater for Europeans who rely on Russia for natural gas. In incidentally, every American presidential administration and secretary of state for every party for the last 20 years has urged over and over and over, urged the Europeans to, to, to get themselves not reliant on energy from Russia. But like a lot of us, we want the cheapest thing available. And there's these pipelines coming in and Russian energy was cheap and we ignored the geopolitical risks. Um, I remember uh, a secretary of state of the United States just urging them to build receptacles so they could buy natural gas from the U.S., it would obviously be more expensive. We have to ship it, but it would be a far safer alternative. As an alternative, so exactly, dependent. exactly. So, so could this push Europe, like Germany? I think twenty-four percent of Germany's gas comes from Russia. Could yes. this, it like, Putin could turn around and say, "Well, I'm going to put the screws to you and shut off." I mean, he's hurting himself. You know, he's cutting off his nose despite his face, but he could also put it back on them because if he turns around and says, hey, China will buy my fuel or my oil or my energy, China will buy it, and therefore here's my way of getting back at NATO, could that push Europe into a recession? And then how does that systemically impact the U.S.? Yeah, so, so an energy price shock historically can lead to a recession. And I, I think that an energy price shock in Europe is far more likely to lead to a recession in Europe. For example, gasoline in Europe is $10 a gallon now. $10. It was always more priced over there anyway. Always more. They have higher tax rates as well. Um, so, so yes, I don't think an energy price shock, incidentally, can lead to a recession in the U.S. any longer. Because if you think about it, 30 years ago, when you and I were getting into this business, what were the biggest companies in America by market capitalization? ExxonMobil and GE. Right? Chevron, yeah. uh, Exxon, Texaco, Mobil. 
many, many of them have merged. And now collectively, their value in the S&P 500 is in the 3% range, used to be closer to 30%. Yeah, good point. So, and, you know, we have developed some alternatives. Um, I, you know, I think from an economic perspective, we, we were moving in the right direction, becoming energy independent, but our economy continues to grow. We need more. We need more domestic supply. And so um, I, I don't think it's enough to cause a recession because the, the aggregate demand in the U.S. economy is so massive right now. It's the highest I've ever seen. And so I'm always puzzled by people thinking about, well, we can have a recession because we raised rates a quarter point. I'm saying our demand is so strong. Our economy is so robust that we're trying to raise rates just to prevent inflation from spiraling out of control. The, 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 we're so far from creating a recession. And a lot of that demand is secular demand. It's secular demand for the rollout of 5G, for computer chips. I mean, gosh, Apple computer makes $300 million a day in profit. Think about that. You know, um, our, our economy is just incredibly diverse and resilient. Oil at 120 doesn't kill it. Slows it down a little bit. But let me ask you a question. So, yeah. so what is the U.S. oil consumption per day, and what is our deficit that we're having to import? Because I'm trying to get my arms around what does a million dollar, a million barrels a day by the government do? Great question. I do not know the answer to our <laughs> daily consumption um, numbers. I just don't know. I, I, I do. I did read a report this morning from one of our energy people that he felt it was it was it was enough to temper the in the 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 uh, the rising price and you can see the market's already kind yes, of showing that. Yes. Exactly. And I thought I saw not too long ago that I think we were importing 600,000 barrels a day from Russia. So well, and they were the main uh, importer. So I just again, this is numbers. I think that probably represents about half of what we were importing. Yes. And, and, and overall energy use goes up, obviously, in the United States um, every, every year as our economy grows. Sure. Yeah, that's just, you, you need energy, but it's a far, so I, I had a chart in my weekly uh, podcast the other day, and I don't have it committed to memory, but it was a dollar of GDP, how much of it is energy? So 30 years ago, it took 15 cents to produce a dollar of GDP, or maybe 20 years ago. It's great leverage. And today, that number is about a nickel. It takes about a nickel's worth of energy to produce a dollar of GDP. Why? Capitalism develops innovation. Um, we, we've got technology that makes it easier and cheaper to drill energy. Um, uh, these price increases are because of demand and supply imbalances, not because we can't profitably produce the energy at this point if we if we had that that will so there's political will that's necessary in this economy as you know it's a political issue sure to get energy out of the ground sure well you know this has been great and i can't believe that our time is up i wish i had more than a half an hour because there's a handful of things that we didn't really get much of a chance to discuss but uh thank you very much um i, I would like for all the viewers um to, to get or listen to herb's uh weekly podcast talks about the economy and what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. His podcast comes out every Monday, roughly noon Eastern time. It is called Slaying Bulls and Bears.
Well, we don't want to slay the bulls, Herb, okay? Just to put that, we could slay the bears, but let's not slay the bulls. But, um, so, Herb, uh, you know, I would like to make you a regular guest on my show. Uh, you articulate very well. Uh, maybe the next time I'll ask you to look into that oil consumption thing so I don't put you on the spot. I know, and I don't expect you to know everything, but I know, you know, it's always great chatting with you behind the scenes. Uh, you're a great guest to have on the show. Um, lots of really, really good stuff. At the end of the day, the sense that I got from you is that you feel pretty good about our economy and that you feel as though the Fed raising the interest rates are nowhere near enough to drive us into a recession. Would you say that's a fair conclusion? I would say that is a that is a very fair conclusion. It will take a lot more than a few interest rate hikes to derail uh, this economy. Remember, this economy is still benefiting from below tax on capital gains, uh, the lower corporate profit tax. Uh, earnings start, you know, this is April 1st. Earnings start here in about 10 days. Earnings estimates daily are getting revised higher. Um, oh, that's know, good. Yeah, just they keep getting revised higher into earnings season. So we're going to get the banks, the financials, and then big tech. Uh, I expect another great quarter in earnings. Excellent. Hey, I like that good news. Ah, that's yeah. the good. I thought I heard the opposite, actually. I heard that um, half to two-thirds or 67 companies or something like that were decreasing their earnings. I thought that's what I heard a couple weeks ago, but maybe uh, not. I don't know the source, but the, the earning consensus earnings estimates, which is all the analysts and it's amalgamated into my Bloomberg terminal, uh, they've been ticking higher here um, pretty much on a weekly basis. I love to hear that good news. That's terrific. I, I'm going to end it on that one. Herb, thank you very much. And it is, again, his podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. And I encourage you to listen to his podcast and you know, keep an eye out because we're going to have him on my show again. Uh, thank you, all of my viewers, for tuning in to today's show. I hope it was helpful and, you know, I really enjoy this. Again, investing is a means to get to the end, but trust me when I tell you that it represents a very small part of the overall financial plan. So thank you again for joining, and tune out until I see you next week. Have a great day. Have a great week, and thank you for tuning in. Again, I'm Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, host of Financial Planning Explained. Thank you very much.